Everybody said? All right. Happy to be here. We are in a new year. I'm so excited. And we are in the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I just want to ask you to just in a moment uh, turn to Luke chapter 3. We're going to be in verses just 1 through 20. We're just making our way uh, through the Gospel uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, we've always believed that it's the Word of God that should be taught and lived, and so that's what we want to do here for these next few moments. So I just want to ask that you would just give God your heart. I just want to ask for these few moments that you would open up your heart to what God has to say to us. Can we do that? Hey, I just want to ask you to please thank um, our worship team. Would you just help me thank them? Thank you guys for uh, bringing us into a place. A couple of quick things, uh, if you didn't know. Um, we are about uh, people. That's what it's about at Missionville Christian. And we want to see people come to God, and we want to see you grow in your relationship with Christ. So this Saturday, if you didn't have a chance to uh, check out our website yet, there is a uh, 5K walk for an organization that we actually support called DCPI. Basically, they have a vision to plant 5 million churches around the world. So this Saturday at the Norman P. Murray Center, uh, we're all going to take part in that and just take a walk and pray and believe that God can do something amazing. Also, I want to say um, for our youth department, we have a junior high, high school, and young adult ministry here during the week on Wednesday night. If you are a parent or grandparent or you know someone that's interested in our youth nights and our youth department, Pastor Zach is having a very special meeting. Uh, this Wednesday, 6.30 here, uh, 6.30 p.m. here to just have a, a parent, uh, kind of a, a informational night, and we want you to be a part of that, and I'm so grateful we have a youth ministry here at MVCC reaching out for kids and young adults, right? Awesome. You know, I think if we were honest this morning, we would all probably, if we were asked the question, do you want your life to matter? Do you want your life to really make a difference? And of course, most of us would say yes. I want to leave an indelible imprint. I want to leave a legacy behind me that matters for somebody else's life. I think about greatness. I want to talk to you about not just being great, but doing great things through God. Can we do that? It's thinking about great people and what they do. I'm a sports fanatic. I love sports. Steelers is my team for football. Um, they're still in it. We got some hope. Um, but you know, there's a, there's a phenomenon. Tom Brady is 44 years old, and he's still in a winning season. I, the guy's just a phenomenon. But here's the question about Tom Brady, who now pray, plays for the uh, Buccaneers. Who was the guy that played before Tom Brady on the New England Patriots? And uh, that's a question I have. If anybody has Google, um, you can let me know. Here's uh, another, another one. John Wooden, one of my favorite coaches of all time, uh, coached the UCLA Bruins basketball team. Not only just for his basketball skills, but he taught his young players life skills. Who was the one that was the coach before he got there? And what did he leave for John Wooden? Of course, one of my heroes of all the faith is Mother Teresa. But who's the one that got to Calcutta before she did, who paved the way for her? And of course, one of my favorite greats of all time is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was um, known to me that um, through a little bit of research that um, he didn't just come on the scene magically, that um, someone was the precursor before he got to the Baptist church that he preached at, and he was a tough preacher. His name was uh, Dr. Vernon Johns, 
And he was the pastor before Dr. Martin Luther King got to his church. And he really whipped up the spirit. He was a powerful preacher. He spoke with conviction. He lived with conviction. And as the things that I've read about him, he was not the most popular preacher because he really spoke truth. And sometimes the truth is difficult for us to hear, right? I want to introduce you today to somebody that we're going to look at. His name is John the Baptist. He was a man of distinction. He was a man of conviction. And I love following people that have conviction in their heart. I tell you, the most difficult thing to follow is a leader who doesn't know where he or she is going. And we never, ever ask that of Jesus. We always know where Jesus Christ is going. But here's the question. Who, Jesus obviously is the greatest who ever lived. He is the God-man. Who was the man that was before Jesus that paved the way? I want to introduce you to this guy named John the Baptist. I know that maybe if you've been in church for a while, or maybe some of you that were grown up in church, you may remember Bible studies, or maybe even as a kid going through you know, classes and learning about this kind of weird guy that dressed weird and he ate really weird food. But I really want to take a deep look at what God did to use a man, not only to be great, but to do great things, and how I believe God wants to do something great through each of us. Do you believe that? I, I need you just to believe with me that God wants to do great things through you. And it's not always easy to do that. How do we define greatness? They say that heroes that are great in this life live off conviction. But something that I found a couple of years ago about heroes, heroes, a true hero, lays down, or lays down her life for someone else. Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 7, verse 28. I tell you that those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Which, interest, which is interesting to me because of all the prophets in the Bible, all of the prophets through the Old Testament, up until the days of the New Testament, Jesus keys in on one person. It wasn't that Jesus loved him more. It's just that Jesus picked out something about John that was very special. Out of all the prophets that I have ever used throughout the years, John is the greatest of all of them. Here's the question I have. Why? What made John the Baptist great? And what was it about John the Baptist's life his life that allowed God to use him in such a powerful way. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 26, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must become the servant of all. Now, before we read the text here in John chapter 3, I hope you just got those questions in your mind because I really believe that the best answer to questions is from the Bible, right? So before we read verses 1 and 2, I just want to introduce you to five very important people. I always believe when we, when we read the Bible, it's so good to know the context. It's good to know the authorship. It's good to know something about the background because when we read it, it means so much more. There were some important people that were part of the political world and a part of the religious world when Luke was writing his account about Jesus' life. In the third chapter, I just, there's going to be some names that are read, and I just want to give you a little bit of background about some of them. It's interesting to me that Jesus came not for just one group of people. He came for the entire world. He came for all of humanity. And so there's a guy named Tiberius who was the emperor of that day. 
We're going to read about him in just a second. There was a guy named Pilate, Pontius Pilate, that might, you might remember. He was the one that Jesus stood before. He was to be crucified. He was the governor of the day. Herod, Philip, the te- and Tetrachitus, and Licinius were the four tetrarchs that basically had joint power, but they didn't have as much power as the governor. The governor of that day had the military might at his, basically held at his fingertips. So we look at all of these people that are mentioned. It's not just we can gloss over them. It's not that important. It is important. People important. Names are important. Everything in the Bible that God put there through the Holy Spirit is important. Now, there's two people in the religious world that we're going to do, we're going to talk about here for a second, and then we're going to read the text. Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests appointed by Rome. They were not appointed by the Jewish people, but they were appointed by Rome. So the, the reason I mentioned that there was always this tension between the government, the political world, and the religious world. The people in the day, the Jewish people, always felt like Rome kind of had a stronghold over them, and they're always wanting to break free. That's why they crucified Jesus, because they were looking for a Messiah that would come and free them from the Roman government. And the political world, they didn't like the religious world because of all their laws and rules and religious uh, fanatics, if you will. They, They didn't like all that. So there was this constant rub, there was constant tension. Of course, we don't have that in our day to day, do we? Hence, let's read here, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch, and from Gal- of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iteria, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. Please underline that. Just make a note of that. Make a mental note. John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Just need to stop here for a second and remind that a few weeks ago we did this study out of chapter 1 that Zacharias and Elizabeth had a miracle baby. Remember, they were kind of old in years, and John is their child. John is now a full-grown man. He's out in the wilderness with the Holy Spirit teaching him and preparing him, which we'll get to in just a moment. He went into all, watch now, the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the ways are smooth, the rough ways made smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John is preparing the way so that people can see God. He is simply a voice out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere. John said, To the crowds now coming out to be baptized by him. You wonderful people. God has a beautiful plan for your life. No, that's not what it says. Watch what it says. You brood of vipers! Exclamation point. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root to the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Don't be thinking because you went to church all your life and you know all the scriptures and you carry the Torah under your arm and you wear the religious robes and you think you know everything and because you came from the line of Abraham, 
Don't think that you're automatically saved. There's a false narrative out here, I think, that's kind of just spread through the American way that if I'm an American or if I've grown up in church or if I just believe all the right things, I'm saved. And Jesus said it's much more than that. Coming to Christ is so easy. We give our heart to Jesus. We believe in God and we repent of our sins. But following Jesus, come on, amen. We know that following Jesus is not always that easy and it's not always the most popular thing. John came with a message that was cutting right to the heart. He was not playing games. He was not trying to make everybody feel good. He wasn't trying to win any popularity contests. He preaches truth, man. Everybody needs Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to repent of sin. We are all part of the same humanity. We are all part of the same race. The bottom line is we are sinners and we need God to come into our life to forgive us. And we must call upon him to be saved. That was his message. Now, watch the response of the people. By the way, in the book of Mark, it says all those from the countryside came to hear his message. I would have loved to have seen it, man. I believe thousands of people came out to hear John's message. And I don't think it was because he wore a leather belt around his waist and he wore clothing made of camel's hair. He ate this weird food like locust and gluten-free wild honey. I don't think it was because of that. I think it was because the power of the Spirit was so captivated in John's life. He had a message of truth. People want truth. People want to hear it how it is. And John wasn't playing around. He says in verse 10, What shall we do then? As the people are asking, the crowd asked. I love John's response. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Man, that would have been awesome. Teacher, they asked, well, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers who were there. Notice, I just want you to see the text here. All walks of life, from political to religious people, were all there. And as the soldiers asked, well, what should we do, John? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. And be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, Look, I baptize with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come with the straps of whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit fire, with winnowing fork in his hand, to clear through the threshing floor and to gather his wheat into his his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. Wow. Verse 2 says, The word of the Lord came to John. John was in a place in his life that he could receive what God had for him. That's why he was out in the middle of nowhere. He was out in the wilderness. First thing I notice here out of the text, and I hope this just encourages us this morning, is that John was a man of distinction. He had a miraculous birth in Luke chapter 1 verse 7. 
He was a relative, or his mother was a relative of Elizabeth. Mary and Elizabeth were sisters, we believe, so Jesus and John were cousins. So his mark, his life was marked with a purpose. He had purpose in his life. He had direction. He knew who he was, and he knew who God was. I tell you, at the end of the day, we can have all the cars and all the houses and all the things of the world, and nothing wrong with having those things. It's just that when those things begin to have us, we start to lose our purpose. We start to lose our convictions. We start to wonder, why am I here? Where am I going? What's my purpose here? John didn't mess with that. John didn't, he didn't wrestle with any of that. He knew who he was. He knew who God was. And he knew his purpose. In Luke chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, just want to read this one because it's so important as we look at this. Jesus writes about John, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even at from his birth. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and disobedient wisdom of the righteous. He will make a ready, ready a people prepared for the Lord. So it's interesting here that he just looks different. He's out in the middle of nowhere. God had called him and he had purpose. He was such a great prophet. In fact, he was the greatest. Why? I think for two reasons. I think because he was humble. He's the one that said, I must become less. He must become greater. I think the second reason John was called the greatest was that his power was in his submission to God. That's where his power came from. It's almost kind of an oxymoron. It doesn't fit with what the world says. The more that I submit to God, the more power that I receive from God. The more that I'm able to humble myself before God. And remember that humility is a choice. If I choose to humble myself, God will bless me. The more that I hang on to my own life, the more that I hang on to what I think is right, I'm limited on what God can do through me. Does that make sense? That's why John was such a powerful agent in the hands of God. Man, I would have loved to have been there at that scene. I can just see the scene of John the Baptist standing on these huge rocks and the crowd below by, I think, even thousands of them, as I had mentioned. And and he is preaching with power and conviction. People looked at him and they saw God in his life. They heard God. They felt God. He was baptizing people by the hundreds, I believe. And his baptism was not for salvation. His baptism was a preparation of repentance, getting our life right, because Jesus is coming. When Jesus, the Messiah, comes, which Jesus was in a long line of people, we find from the book of Matthew and the book of Mark that Jesus was to be baptized by John, and John now is awaiting, not even feeling worthy to baptize the very Son of God. Which leads us to number two. John was a man of deep conviction, wasn't he? He had convictions. One message, and the message was simple. Repent, turn, change. Why? Because there's a loving God that is going to come and save the world, and we have to be ready. That Greek word metanoia, repentance, just simply means change the heart, change the mind. So no one can change you except you. Jesus is the only one that when he touches our heart, he moves on us, We decide to make those changes, and God comes in like a flood, and all of a sudden, life is now different. I just think that God is looking for change among his people. I think God is looking for a new kind of church. I think he's looking for a different kind of Christian. 
I think he's looking for people that are willing to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do, I am game. I am open, God. Whatever it is, how difficult it is, even though if I don't feel it, God, I will trust you and I will do it. I, I just think that, that John's message was so simple. It wasn't easy, but it was simple and it was convicting. And sometimes I think we make Jesus into the Jesus we want Jesus to be. We make Jesus to fit into our schedule. We make Jesus to fit into our convenience. Well, if I can fit God into my schedule and it doesn't work like that, it's Jesus is God. When we signed up to follow Jesus, we got into the boat with him. And I think what sometimes we do is we make this soft serve Christianity. We make Jesus, well, I'm not really sure if I really think I can do this. I'm not really sure if I want to do this. It'll really kind of cramp my style, really kind of change my lifestyle and Jesus, man, demands our total surrender to him. We like Jesus in the baby, Jesus in the manger. Jesus doesn't disrupt us when he's a baby, but when he grows into adulthood, he asks us to do daring things. He asks our life to become great as he makes our life great, and he wants to do great things through us. In fact, Jesus said things like, unless a man deny himself and take up the cross and follow me, he's not worthy of following me. And Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, I don't want you just to believe in me. Man, I want you to come follow me. And he went to all the countryside throughout the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's such a beautiful picture. I don't know maybe where your story is, of how you met God, or maybe today you're coming and just returning back to God, but there's nothing better than coming back to God in that moment when you know that God is speaking into your life and you say, yes, Lord, I'm surrendering everything to you. There's a natural progression of, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and baptism is a part of that. I just want you to see there are three parts to the baptism of John and then three parts to our baptism. John's baptism was looking forward forward to the crucifixion of Jesus, number one. Number two is the death of Jesus. And number three is the resurrection of Jesus. So there's three makeshift pictures, if you will. The crucifixion of Christ that he would suffer for us on the cross because he loves us so much that he trades his life for our life. Then ultimately he died. His body was put in the tomb for three days. And then the third one is on the third day, he would rise again. He would resurrect for all of eternity. Our baptism, when you make a decision to say, yes, I'm following Jesus Christ and I'm making this decision for myself, which by the way, if you grew up in a religious kind of environment where you were baptized as a baby as I was in the Catholic Church, I, did, I was not able to make that decision, but when I decided I wanted to follow Jesus at age 18, I wanted to make the decision for myself. I wanted to say, yeah, I wanted to plant my stake in the ground. I wanted to make the decision. I'm going to follow Jesus no holes barred. I'm not holding anything back. And that is the best decision that you can come to. Baptism is a great moment that you are saying, yes, I'm following Jesus. I love you with all my heart. And so now there are three parts to our baptism. As it now is a look backward at Jesus' crucifixion, we are willing to say, I die to myself. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's not always easy. But it's there that we find life. We find Jesus Christ. Number two is the death to ourself is a decision. Spiritually, we're dying to the things that we want. And now we're alive 
and we are coming up out of the water, resurrecting to walk a new life with Jesus Christ. Resurrection brings power into our life. So I just think it's simple this morning, what Jesus is teaching us, that he wants us to be people of distinction. When they looked at John, he looked weird. He looked different. He had the leather belt. He had the camel's hair. He was eating weird food. And I always ask myself, why did he eat locusts? That's crazy. That's weird. What I found out is that was the only food out in the wilderness that was kosher because he was Jewish. He could eat that. It makes sense now why God allows certain things in the Bible. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter that if we are followers of Christ, we are a peculiar kind of people. Here's what I'm saying is we should look weird. We don't want to fit in. And what I mean by that is we look weird. That means we forgive people. We're patient with people. That's what I mean by weird, because the world doesn't do that. The world's cutthroat. The world will cut you off. The world will stop. The world will, will, will not affirm. The world, the world will not do the things that Jesus taught us to do. So we should be so contrary to the world that people look at us and go, dude, that guy, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. I want that. I need that in my life. See, our life should be distinctive. We should live differently. We talk differently. We say different things. Our life is about love. Loving every person the way Jesus loved. The second thing is, I just think it's, it's so crystal clear that God wants us to live with conviction. If you do not have a conviction as a Christian about the way that you should be living, you're missing out on blessings. If you're just kind of going with the flow, well, we live one day this way, we live one day this way, and we kind of give God on a Sunday, but God wants 24-7. When we live with his convictions of his word, that life takes on a whole new meaning. Life becomes exciting. Life becomes worth living because we have conviction now that I don't want to cut that person off. I want to be patient with them. I want to work with the person. I, I, I want so much to be loving and kind and gentle and compassionate the way Jesus was. So the bottom line is, what do we do? That's what the crowd asked. What do we do? Share with others. Remember in school, we've got our report cards during grade school. I always wanted to have on the line at the very end of my report card, plays well with others, right? That's what the church should be like. The church, we, the people of God, we play well with others. So he says, I want you to share with people in need. Remember when Jesus walked into the temple? It was one of the few times that he did. Most of the time, Jesus was in the streets with people that were an absolute mess, who didn't have any religious connection at all because he just wanted to help people right where they were. But there were a few times he went into the temple, and as he wandered into the temple on this one afternoon, I love this scene because he sees all the religious leaders who are making profit and who are in the place of power. And all these poor people are, are, are doing the very best they can, but they're being exploited on behalf of those religious leaders. And Jesus basically wastes no time. He makes a whip of cords. He drives all the animals out. He drives everybody out of the temple, making a statement that you will not, you will not treat this house as a den of thieves, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's, that's the conviction that I think we need to have as people of God. And th the other thing he says here is, I want you to be fair with people. Don't cheat. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't cheat others. Don't, don't get what you can from someone. Be fair and honest with people. And, and then the last group of people, he answers the question, as a matter of fact, 
Don't accuse people. Don't judge too quickly from what you see. I want you just to imagine for a second. I think we think in our modern day Christianity, if I just believe all the right stuff, I'm good to go. And that's important. We need to believe the right stuff. But what John is saying, when there's true repentance, our life looks different. We do different things. We act different. There's a change in our life. So what are the action points out of the, what, what can we do? What is God saying? This is what I want you to do. I think it's so clear. Turn to God now. Turn to God now. I will say this in the past two years. When I used to read the book of Revelation and take classes back in the day when I was in college and we'd have these long night discussions in our dorm room because, you know, as a college student, you don't have to get up for things early and you can stay up till the wee hours in the morning having these long discussions about deep spiritual things. And I remember we'd talk about, you know, the end times, the Antichrist, and when Christ would return. Obviously, we were so excited about that, but I thought, well, you know, that's kind of a long thing off. Kind of sounds like a fairy tale to me. What do you mean there's an Antichrist coming and and the whole world's going to have to take the mark and there's all these things that have to happen one of them is the whole world has to hear the gospel how man that's a lot of missionary work jim that's a heck of a lot of missionary work to have the whole world hear the gospel before jesus comes it seems like it's just kind of far off you know maybe a couple thousand years from now i don't know if you've noticed but the last two years things have accelerated like i have never seen before in my lifetime All of a sudden, there are mandates. All of a sudden, the government has changed. All of a sudden, the gospel has gone out. I believe it's very close to being out to the entire world. Why? Because every church is now online all around the world. Everyone's going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel if they haven't already heard it already. So the world has disarrayed the entire globe because of this pandemic. And it's not so much the pandemic, it's the economy, it's the governmental situations that are crashing and falling. And I believe we are so close, so close to the coming of Christ. And there are certain things that must happen. The Bible talks about these things. And it's so important that we are ready for that. I don't want to be caught asleep, man, hitting the snooze button of my spiritual life. The time is now. Come to God now. Give your life to Jesus now. Believe in him now. Repent now. Number two is this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to prepare the way for somebody else to know God. I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to be somebody who when someone looks at me, there's someone who knows God. God. They don't see Mike. They see God. When you looked at John the Baptist, when you heard him speak, even though you may not, you may not agree with him, you know that that guy's from God. He is on a mission. And I think people are looking for some purpose. I think people are looking for change. I really do. I think people are looking for truth. They don't want to have it bashed over the head. They want to have it come in love. Jesus was about grace and truth. So what is life about? Life is about turning to God. And life is now about turning my life over to God so someone else can see God. Someone else can accept Jesus Christ into their life. I just finished with this. I just want you to just take a moment and imagine with me a different kind of Mission Viejo. A different kind of Lake Forest, Portola Hills, Foothill Ranch. A, a different kind of Irvine, wherever city, wherever you live, and maybe you're watching online in a completely different city. I want you to imagine your city with all of a sudden there is now a great awakening to the things of God. And with the great awakening, there comes change. 
I, I see people lined up like they're lined up to go into the Staples Center to watch a sporting event. February 13th is, 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 is uh, what's it called? Super Bowl. Just seeing if everybody's awake, right? And we're going to see people come from all over the country to see a three-hour game. And people will line up. They will get tickets. They will pack their cars. They will have as many resources as possible. They will line up for hours to get in to see an event. I long to see the day, and I believe it's coming. We will see people literally lined up to get into services. We will see people lined up just to hear a word from God, to experience the miraculous power of God. I want you to see a different society. I want you to see what we are asking God for. There can be change. We need a great awakening back to Jesus Christ, and it begins with us. My house, Jesus said, shall be a house of prayer. It all starts with prayer. It all starts on our knees. It starts with the example of John the Baptist being humble and open and saying, God, you got my life. Whatever you want, Lord. I want you to see this great awakening where church looks different. Church is not just the place that we come to. Church is who we are. Church is what we do. We are loving one another. We are connecting. We are family. We got one another's back. And society all of a sudden looks different. When we go into the grocery store, or we go into the bank, or we get our car fixed or serviced, or we go to buy a vehicle or something, or we, we look for a realtor, all of a sudden, everybody's talking about God. And everybody's just a little bit more nice. And everybody's changed because God is doing something in the heart. I believe God wants to do this. The question is, where are we? Where are we? Will we live that life of distinction? And will we live that life of conviction. God, I thank you so much for the example of John the Baptist who didn't care what people thought about him. Probably didn't care how many friends he had. All he cared about was pleasing you, God. I pray that we have that kind of tenacity, God, that we go after you without anything holding us back. And I pray, God, if there's any difficult work that needs to be done in the house, in our own heart right now, God, that you would help us to be honest with you and honest with ourselves. I thank you, Jesus, that you said, Come to me, all that are heavy laden, all that have burdens. Come to me, and I will give you rest on the inside. God, if there's any of us here today that just need a touch from you, I pray that this, this moment of decision, this moment of reflection, God, and we would truly meet you in that place called humility. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the seat back in front of you, there's a, there's a small cup with a wafer and some juice there. And that's just simply that we give all of us the opportunity to just reflect and remember Jesus and his life, his death, and his resurrection. So we just want to give a few moments. Worship team's going to play here. We have opportunity to just have some quiet reflection with God. And I just really want to ask, you know, the Bible says that we should examine our heart and that's something that we want you to have the freedom to do. If there's anything that you need to just, just need to talk to you about, Lord, that this is the time. So God, I pray that you would just meet us in this quiet moment, God. I pray, God, that in this moment, our ears would be open, our eyes would be open, God, to what you have for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.